Welcome to the Global Hedge Fund Benchmark Study podcast series. I'm Adam Jacobs from AIMA, and with me today I have Lucian Firth from Simmons & Simmons and Nick Miller from Seward & Kissel. Driven by our collective commitment to supporting the hedge fund industry, AIMA combined forces with Simmons & Simmons and Seward & Kissel to explore the latest insights from across the alternative investment industry. The overall premise of the study was to look at the health of the hedge fund industry. We're extremely grateful to all the fund managers and investors who took the time to participate in this study and for sharing their perspectives with us in the many interviews that we conducted. From this piece of research, we highlight six key takeaways, performance, fundraising, fees, sustainability, digitalization, and looking ahead. Today, we dig into sustainability and what we're seeing across the market. I'd like to start with a question for Lucien. And the question is this, Lucien, what are you seeing when it comes to hedge funds as clients engaging with the ESG agenda? Thanks, Adam. Um, that's a really good question. I think we've seen uh, we've seen hedge funds really getting up the ESG curve over the last few years. And I suppose thinking back to conversations I had when I tried to raise it with hedge fund clients, say, you know, three or four years ago, uh, often the response was uh, ESG no, we don't do that. We're a hedge fund manager, and sort of quietly, uh, quietly showing me the door. But actually, I think you know things have things have changed a lot over the years, uh, and you know, there's been very much, I think, you know, an increase in understanding of what ESG is. So it's not just about investing in solar panels and uh, and wind farms. It's actually you know thinking about the much broader range of environmental, social, and governance factors that feed into the value of assets and the risk of assets. And so managers very much embracing it as as part of their investment process. Yeah, and I I, I think that's exactly right. And this is uh, this is Nick Miller from Stewart and Kessel. Uh, first of all, thank you so much for having me. Um, I think that's exactly right. Just as you know, more and more of our clients kind of wrap their heads around what ESG means uh, and really understanding the value of ESG as a risk mitigation tool. Um, I think you know certainly the the new administration in the U.S. is highly focused on this. Uh, allocators are highly focused on this, and so um, you know as a result, our clients are highly focused on this. Um, and I think they do see a lot of value now. Uh, you have certainly the risk mitigation aspect, um, and then also, you know, really ways to create uh, potentially profitable new business lines and create alpha. So uh, we are seeing a ton of engagement across the industry. Thanks, both very helpful reflections. And it's interesting, Lucien, to reflect on that initial response we might have heard uh, in the past that we're hedge funds, we don't do ESG, because actually when it comes to it and this goes to, to Nick's point around risk mitigation. I think many funds, when it comes to their investment process, do take into account risks uh, that you could badge under the ESG banner and, and have for, for many years. So there is a an element of continuity, I suppose. But would you say, say it's um, a fair observation that investors are becoming more demanding that a rebranding of what you do or have done historically um, in the language of ESG is, is probably not en enough anymore. What, what would your take be on that? Perhaps again, starting with Lucien. Thanks, Adam. Yeah, I mean, I think I think it, there's been very much a sort of process of managers reflecting on what they do already and actually realising that what they do does fall under ESG. So even, you know, the sort of light bulb moment often with hedge fund managers is when you talk about things like shorting Wirecard, 
and that shorting Wirecard, you know, can be a form of ESG investment, looking at poor governance and taking a short position. And you kind of see these these light bulb moments that managers have when they get that, OK, actually, ESG is something that we do. But it, I guess thinking about your question in terms of, you know, how they how they articulate these things to their clients, to the allocators, to the investors. Yeah, I mean, I, I think we, we've, we've seen over the years, um, you know, very much an increase in interest from allocators asking managers, what is your approach on ESG? Please describe your approach on ESG. And so our, our manager clients coming to us and wanting to talk about how they articulate what they're doing. And there's often sort of comes down to sort of reflecting on the, the investment process and also the, the corporate level ESG. And I think these things often get, get very much sort of blurred into one and mixed up. And so thinking about ESG from an investment perspective, how do you think about ESG risk and thinking about the different areas of ESG risk and whether or not you take them into account and when you take them into account. So first of all that, and then thinking about ESG as a potential source of returns. So spotting issuers that will do well uh, because of ESG factors. And then the sort of the, the third theme, uh, thinking about the adverse impact of investments on the outside world and whether or not that is something that you take into account as as a fund manager. And, you know, often for hedge fund managers, you know, we see some basic screening and they've been doing basic screening for years. So, you know, think things like investing in cluster munitions. They, they, they wouldn't do it and they wouldn't have done it for years. They'd have never held that out as being anything ESG. It's just not something they do. So thinking about that, but also sort of helping managers to articulate, you know, do we, do we actually more broadly think about the adverse impact of investments or is it really just about risk mitigation and the potential for returns? And I think, you know, more honestly for hedge fund managers and thinking about who their investors are, it tends to be much more focused on risk and potential for returns through ESG integration rather than thinking about the adverse impact. But it's a case of getting all of this, getting all of this, you know, clear in their minds and then getting it, getting it down on paper to reply to the questions that come from the allocators and their clients. Which inevitably yeah. are coming. And uh, Nick, perhaps if I bring bring you in on this one as well, what's your take here? No, absolutely. It's a it's a great question, and I certainly agree with Lucian. I, I mean, I think we we've seen some really interesting, you know, really interesting dynamic between you know allocators and our and our hedge fund clients and our, our private fund clients. Um, you know, I think two to three years ago, uh, you know, we our clients started to get more regular questions on ESG and and ESG integration. And, and risk in the portfolio, uh, and you know w- whether our managers had had policies in place, and you know I think a simple response at that time, yes, we do. Here's our aspirational policy, and it was kind of like, okay, great, uh, let's move on to the next question. Uh, and so what we've seen more recently is uh, you know really probing that a little bit more, uh, much more substantive review of the actual policies. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, the, the key takeaway here is that aspirational policies, you know, very high level ESG policies, um, you know, are, are likely not going to cut it going forward. Um, but I think Lucian raises a great point where, uh, you know, when, when managers really start to understand about ESG and, and what folks are asking about uh, and then kind of comparing it to their to their current uh, investment process, I think a lot of times what, we'll, what we see is that, um, you know, developing an, an effective policy is really an exercise in evaluating what you're currently doing uh, and then really just formalizing it and, and getting credit for it. And I think that, you know, that resonates because it's really no use to develop a policy that that doesn't match what you're actually doing. And no one on the investment side uh, wants to dramatically rejigger the investment process. 
Um, and so I think, you know, there, there are kind of enough toeholds where you can look at what you're currently doing, formalize it, and then be able to effectively respond uh, to your allocators. Thanks. And when I listen to what you both say, it definitely accords with the experience I've had at AIM in the last couple of years that um, to a large degree, the interest in ESG has been driven by the fact that investors are asking managers about their approach and they're asking increasingly probing questions. And so what might have um, worked uh, two or three years ago as a relatively superficial response uh, it, it no longer works and, and, and you do need something that's more credible and thought through. Obviously, we focused uh, so far on the investor dynamic, but obviously the the uh, driver that's increasingly rising up the agenda in terms of its importance is regulation, particularly in Europe. And perhaps again, turning to you, Lucian, I could ask you um, to tell us more about the regulatory drivers and how those are now coming to um, uh, coming into play when it comes to ESG and responsible investment. Sure, thanks, Adam. So thinking about the regulatory environment, um, as I'm sure many of our listeners know, uh, on the 10th of March this year, uh, the Sustainable Finance Disclosures Regulation came into effect in Europe. And that requires managers, including hedge fund managers, to make disclosures about how they think about sustainability. And it kind of it, it, it views sustainability in essentially three buckets. One, sustainability from a risk perspective. So how do you think about sustainability risks when you're managing assets? The second theme is about the adverse impact of your investments on the outside world. And this is a, you know, for, for hedge fund managers, it's a comply or explain regime. And so the reality there for many hedge fund managers is that they don't think about the adverse impact. That's not what they do. They think about sustainability risks, but they don't they don't take into account the impact on the outside world. And that, you know, it, that's generally fine because that's what their, their clients, the investors, uh, expect of them. And then the third, the third theme to come out of this regulation is increased detail in disclosures for funds that hold themselves out as being ESG funds, as being green funds. And the, the sort of the, the big point about this regulation is it's a European regulation. And I think there was a general expectation that it would be onshored into the UK when it came into effect this year in 2021. But in the end, the UK didn't onshore it. And so actually, um, it doesn't directly apply to many of our hedge fund manager clients who are based in the UK or the US or Asia, but not you know, in the EU27. They're not based in continental Europe for the most part where they are hedge fund managers. But nevertheless, uh, it's, it's interesting that we have seen hedge fund managers who are completely out of scope from a regulatory perspective still actually adopt the themes, adopt the terminology and adopt the categorizations that the SFDR has brought to Europe because they are seeing that these are the same questions that they are being asked by European allocators. So how would this fund be categorised under SFDR? What's your approach to sustainability risks? So the, although the regulation doesn't directly apply in the UK, it's, it's something which is still becoming relevant to, um, relevant to UK managers. Certainly been a good case study in, in terms of how regulation can have a commercial angle to it. And as you say, the product categorization, we, we've seen this, the, the SFDR product categorization in itself has uh, a quite explicit value from the point of view of product design now. And, and, and we, we've certainly heard of UK firms building products in line with the regulatory regime to which they're not even subject. So it's, uh, I, I suppose, from a, a UK centric perspective. Interesting to see how the, the UK now navigates that dynamic that 
in a way the uh, the EU's got first mover advantage. Uh, but Nick, perhaps if I bring you in again, I suppose things are quite different when it comes to regulatory framework and ambitions in the US. I, I would say different for now. <laughs> Uh, the really interesting thing from a U.S. perspective is, uh, you know, I, I think we're we're probably a few years behind behind Europe on the regulatory side um, in terms of looking at SFDR and and you know kind of mandatory disclosures and uh, allocators kind of wrapping their their heads around the the importance of ESG, um, you know. But certainly with the incoming you know the, the new Biden administration, um, you know th- this was a priority uh, through Biden's campaign. Uh, it's certainly a priority. Uh, you know, looking at some of the actions at the SEC, creating a climate task force. Um, you know, certainly, uh, you know, we're seeing some 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 targeted exams related to to ESG matters, um, and I think we're also hearing about you know potential um, uh, potential legislation. So I think in the short to medium term, um, you know, we, we expect a lot of regulatory action here. Uh, and that that really, you know, to Lucian's point, it does go kind of hand in hand with, uh, you know, what investors are asking for, uh, and and what we're seeing on the regulatory side. Um, you know, I think probably the the the, the biggest regulatory uh, news currently uh, from a U.S. perspective uh, is there was a, a recent risk alert that the that the SEC put out in April uh, 21. Um, you know, the SEC talked about uh, some observations from from recent examinations of of uh, registered advisors uh, from an ESG perspective, looking at you know policies, uh, adequacy of disclosures, consistency of disclosures, um, internal controls, uh, and really just came out with uh, you know some some key takeaways in terms of what are the main deficiencies that they're seeing, uh, and then also the risk alert closes with. Uh, you know, what do effective uh, ESG policies look like and, and what are effective ESG disclosures? And, you know, the key takeaway, uh, you know, for our clients is really just ensuring that, you know, one, obviously making sure that any policy that you have in place matches what you are actually doing in practice. Uh, and then beyond that, making sure that, uh, you know, the disclosures that you're making uh, externally uh, you know, match both the policy and your practice. Uh, so, you know, that that could be ADV, DDQs, pitch books, obviously offering documents, uh, and just really, um, you know, scrubbing those documents to make sure that uh, that everything all, all lines up and is clear. Thank you. And uh, I was going to pick up on something that Lucian mentioned in the context of SFDR, which is the fact that the regime goes further than simply making disclosures about how you approach integration of um, ESG characteristics, but indeed also ask investment managers to consider the impact associated with the positions that they hold. And um, we've seen as well in the context of the new proposals from the Commission on uh, corporate reporting when it comes to sustainability, a a real focus on this concept of double materiality so that companies would disclose against not just what is um, material from the point of view of their bottom line, but also what is material in terms of their impact on the world around them. And I was just interested to get your sense of whether the US would ever go as far as um, expecting disclosure of your impact on the world around you or whether it really will remain a, a focused on uh, 
the impact of uh, sustainability risks on your PL, that more narrow kind of uh, sort of fiduciary concept of, of what is material. Um, Nick, what would your take be on that one? Yeah, I mean, it, it's a very interesting concept and it's and, and question and certainly something uh, we, we've been thinking about a lot. I'm, I mean, a lot of the a lot of the guidance out of the SEC and kind of commissioner speeches has been, you know, look, ESG is potentially no different from any other factor. And it really just comes down to materiality. Uh, and, you know, it's not our place to kind of prescribe, um, you know, um, specific considerations. Um, but you know we're we're certainly uh, monitoring that to 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 see if that actually um, uh, is the way that that any um, any guidance would come out. Thank you. There's probably people listening to us today who might be in the category of uh, trying to play catch up to some degree and looking at this uh, enormous wall of regulatory requirements and. Uh, the significant investor interest out there and basically just wondering how you even start trying to uh, build a, a good answer when it comes to what you're doing on the ESG front. So what does the the sort of the, the first steps look like for a manager that wants to do more in this space? Uh, starting again with you, Lucien. Thanks, Adam. I think I think first of all, it's it's thinking about ESG and it is um, essentially recognising the the different concepts of ESG at a corporate level, so ESG as it relates to your business as a fund manager, and then ESG at an investment level, as in the way that ESG is integrated in your management of assets. And these are two these are two separate things. And typically, when you when I find when you begin talking to a manager, they're often a bit jumbled up, to be honest, and they they, they get them a bit sort of um a bit confused. So they're both you know I think I think they're both they're both important. They're both worth thinking about. Just Talking about ESG at a corporate level, I mean, this this tends to be, you know, thinking about um, your firm's your firm's impact on 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 the environment first of all, and your firm's approach to um to social considerations and governance considerations. So, do we have, you know, as a firm, have we thought about, for example, um, diversity in our in our workforce? We thought about that, and you know, have we thought about how we can make positive contributions? What's our approach to um, enhancing social mobility, for example? So thinking about all of those things at a corporate level, but then also thinking about the um, the investment side and working out um, what our approach is there. And so I think we, we we talked about earlier um, thinking about how you might already actually be taking into account ESG factors, but just you've you've never called them ESG. So I think you know recognizing the breadth of ESG factors and recognizing how they are relevant to your investments, and you know to some strategies they are very, very relevant. So, you know, longer term investment in equities, ESG factors, you know, clearly very relevant in, in, in the majority of cases. And then, you know, for some for some hedge fund strategies, ESG factors are not relevant. So, you know, if you've got a high frequency strategy, for example, if you, you know, manage future strategy, it may be that ESG considerations are just are just not relevant. So I think Working out what actually what ESG means to us, what ESG means to our asset classes, and and and, and beginning to put put pen to paper and articulate your ideas um, that way. I think that's I think that's the way to start. Thanks, and Nick, what's your take here? 
I, I, I agree. Uh, I think certainly, um, you know, like we like we mentioned a little bit before, uh, you know, often the first step is is really just an exercise and in, in looking at what you're already doing on the investment side uh, and formalizing it and documenting it and getting credit for it. Uh, and then developing, you know, kind of effective ways to respond um, to to your allocators. Um, you know, I think uh, to Lucian's point, these have to be bespoke. Uh, there's really no off-the-shelf ESG policy that's going to cut it. Um, you know, I think certainly depending on strategy, um, you know, there are some differences with hedge versus private equity in terms of you know how much control you have, and and certainly within different strategies. Um, you know that that is really going to inform how important ESG actually actually should be, um, and you know again, uh, it's really important that that the policies are not um, you know too overreaching. Uh, I think that the the um, you know it's it's very easy to get carried away when you're when you're drafting policies and and thinking about all the different things you can do and. Um, you know, it's very important that that what you actually put down to paper is what you will do in practice uh, and that you can document that. Uh, and then again, to my earlier point, just making sure that that kind of once you set that policy, um, that you are making sure that your disclosures um, you know, to investors and, and regulators are all consistent and adequate. Thank you. Well, with that, I'd like to say uh, thank you again to both Lucian and Nick for sharing your insights today. If you want to know what's coming next, look out for our third quarterly hedge fund confidence index measure, which will be released in June. Thank you.